You're listening to Guitars and Granola Bars, episode 17. Thank you so much for joining me here on Guitars and Granola Bars, Music Therapist Talk Motherhood. I'm your host, Rachel Rambach, and this podcast is for music therapists and anyone else balancing a passion-fueled career with being a mom. This podcast is sponsored by Music Teachers Helper, the best way to manage your private music lesson studio and or music therapy practice. I've used Music Teachers Helper every single day since 2011, and it is literally one of the best tools I have to keep my private practice running smoothly. Music Teachers Helper is online scheduling and billing software, which you can access from your computer, laptop, tablet, and smartphone that saves you hours every month, enables you to generate reports for taxes, and ensures you never lose track of a payment. Once you add a student, which is super easy, you can choose to automatically send students custom invoices that can be paid by credit card if you make that an option. Automatically email lesson and session reminders, late payment notifications, notes, and so much more. So many amazing features, I can't even list them all here. Every user also receives a free, easy-to-build website template to help market your studio or practice online. Ditch the costly web designer or programmers and have complete control over your website content. With dozens of professional templates available, you'll be sure to find one that best expresses your style. Whether you have 5 or 50 students, Music Teachers Helper works with studios and practices of all sizes. They offer a 30-day no-risk trial where you can test it out to discover how much time you'll be saving. If you use the link in the show notes or go to www.musicteachershelper.com podcast, you'll save 20% off your first month if you choose to sign up after the trial. In this episode, I'm chatting with Kristen O'Grady. Kristen is the Clinical Director of Creative Arts Therapies and Child Life at the Elizabeth Seton Pediatric Center in Yonkers, New York. She has been a music therapist for 11 years, specializing in pediatric palliative care. She is also a longtime member of the Executive Board of the Mid-Atlantic Region of the American Music Therapy Association, completing her final term as immediate past president. Kristen enjoys writing as a part of the blog team on the blog Music Therapy and End of Life Care. Kristen and her husband, Mark, live in Hazlitt, New Jersey with their two girls, Molly, aged three and a half years, and Bryn, almost one. Together, they enjoy being outdoors, pajama dance parties, and trips for ice cream. much for joining me on the podcast, Kristen. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Why don't we start by you giving us a little bit of background about your career as a music therapist and how you got to where you are? Sure. So um, I uh, am still working at my first job post internship, and I've been there for almost 11 years now. It seemed wow. it was just a, turned out to be a really good fit for me. Okay. <laughs> So um, I've kind of moved around a little bit within the facility, but um, currently I'm the clinical director for creative arts therapies and child life 
at the Elizabeth Seton Pediatric Center, which is a pediatric skilled nursing facility uh, for children ages birth through 21. And we are located in Yonkers, New York. So during my time there, I have been a staff music therapist, first in their in-house school, and then I moved into the um, pediatric center side, which is more um, of the medical side. And um, then I developed the internship program and was the clinical training director for a while. Um, and I still kind of maintain that role. And now I've transitioned into being the clinical director for, for our whole team. So it's been an interesting uh, 11 years. I'm sure. And it sounds like you really have a lot of responsibility um, and that you're doing a lot more than just the average music therapist. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. So um, I guess one of the things that uh, is the, you know, the added components of, of being the clinical director, aside from, you know, uh, managerial managerial things like departmental budgeting um, and, you know, going to lots more meetings than I can um, expect. I can even <laughs> count. Um, I do. I also um, get to provide staff supervision, clinical supervision for staff, which I really, really enjoy. Um, you know that experience. So that's a little bit of a an extra piece. I still maintain a small caseload, which um, kind of balances everything out for me. Um, and then I try very hard to kind of create really you know strong boundaries for myself, so I can you know come on time and leave on time. And that's been something that has been important to me. Nice. And I'm sure it's um, more of a challenge with having all of those administrative duties added to to your career. Yes, it's been interesting. Um, I, I guess because, you know, one of the things is that the job doesn't really stop uh, when I leave, even though I try to make it stop. Um, you know, I have, I carry a a work phone, a work BlackBerry. So um, I'm kind of accessible all the time and it's kind of up to me to to model um, boundaries for myself. And sometimes it's very hard, I mean, for my team. And sometimes it's very hard since, you know, the phone, I can hear when I get an email and um, all that kind of stuff. So I have to really, you know, challenge myself to, to put it away and, and not be uh, present all the time so that I can sure. be present uh, with my kids on, on my days off. Sure, yeah. How many people do you have on your team? Seven. Seven. Okay. Very cool. So I'm I'm interested to hear kind of how your personal life has evolved since being at that facility, since you've been there for so long. At what point in your career were you when you decided that it was time to start a family? So I was... Um, still at that point, I was a staff music therapist, just, um, training practicum students at that point. Um, and actually kind of the other, one of the other things that I am very involved in is, um, I've been on the board, the executive board for our region for a long time. And, um, at the point when we decided to have, um, my first daughter, um, I was the president elect. So I kind of had this window of ideas where, you know, okay, I have to be here at this conference and I have to be here at this meeting. And so we were really hoping that things would work out so that I would be able to fulfill those responsibilities. Um, and also, you know, have our, have our daughter, which it did, you know, we were very lucky and, and things kind of the timing actually was, was pretty good for us. So I was able to still, you know, get to 
conference and get to meetings. And um, but I, I became president when about a month before she was born. So that was very interesting. Oh my gosh! Um, yeah, I can imagine. The t- yeah, the time. It was. It was. Yeah, it's been really interesting. Um, you know, to kind of have her throughout my presidency, and then um, um, my other daughter was born when I was past president. So it's been kind of like they've they've kind of um, known, uh, you know, been around during during that time. And now I'm just finishing that up. Um, so I'm transitioning off the board. But that's been a challenge, I guess, to you know, in addition to my job responsibilities, you know, to balance that in as well. Um, and then I had, I had, um, been, uh, um, gotten the promotion to become the, uh, clinical director just before I went on leave for my second child. So it's been kind of interesting to have, um, the, the kids kind of have, you know, I guess they've woven around each other, which has been really interesting for us to uh, balance, um, everything together. Yeah. And I definitely want to talk more about um, making that transition while you were heading into leave. We'll maybe um, revisit that in a few minutes here, but let's back up just a little bit and talk about your first pregnancy with your first daughter. And you said that you were a staff music therapist at the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so did you continue working throughout your pregnancy? I did. And um, I had, to, it was, it was challenging at that point. I was um, our facility was located in Manhattan, so there was quite a bit of walking, uh, you know, from I would commute on a bus uh, to the city and then um, walk for a while to get to our to our facility. And um, I was having some kind of physical problems, not so much with the pregnancy, just with my, my own body, I guess. And so it was, I was just felt like I was uncomfortable all the time. But um, I did work right up until... Um, my due date, and then I went out um, at that point. Um, but I remember that last month was just—it <laughs> felt like, will this day ever, ever come? But, I'm sure. Um, and she ended up being um, 11 days. She was 11 days uh, past her due date, so it felt like you know this would—you uh, know—how they always say that the last month feels like it, it lasts <laughs> longer than the entire pregnancy. Yes. <laughs> and it—and that definitely felt like the case for me. Um, yeah, it was, it was oh, uh, wow. definitely an interesting time. I, I can relate to that. I'm 38 weeks pregnant as of this recording, and um, I, I definitely echo that sentiment that these last couple weeks have just felt like they've lasted for months. And uh-huh. I'm, <laughs> the further I go, Congratulations. The, oh, thank you. The further I go, the harder it gets to, you know, get down on the floor and really do everything that needs to be done during a session. But I'm doing my best. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I felt like, you know, it became harder and harder to wear the guitar, you know, around me. And then mm-hmm. it became harder to sit on the floor, like you were saying, and right. run a group. Yeah, I think at this point, the guitar is completely to my side. So I've really yep. had to just, you know, <laughs> completely change the way I strum and, and yeah. everything. But it's it's working Absolutely. for me so far. So good, good. <laughs> What, so you said that your daughter came 11 days past her due date. Wow. And did you work up until she was born or up until the due date? Um, I worked up until my due date. Okay. Okay. Good. And when she was born, what did maternity leave look like for you? So 
things, um, our kind of policies have changed at work, but there wasn't really clear guidelines. So what I was able to do was basically take a, a planned vacation and then start my family medical leave after that. So I had about, I think how much time I had. I, I had probably a month's worth of vacation time, like maybe 15 or 20 days. And then I started the 12 weeks after that. So I was out in total for four months. Oh, nice. Um, not, you know, most of it wasn't paid. It was, you know, the, the vacation time that I had was paid. So that was all of the first month. And then after that, you know, I had the disability check. And then, okay. you know, it was family medical leave is what kind of keeps your job. Um, during that time, my boss changed. So it was very interesting to come back to work to a new boss. Um, <laughs> and it was almost like I felt like when I when I returned that it was a completely different job just because there were two staffing changes, like I said, my boss and somebody else. And so in the absence of people who had been there before, they just kind of began doing things differently. So it almost felt very, you know, in, in addition to it being surreal, kind of going back to work as a new parent, you know, also going back to work. Uh, to new people and and things that were completely different. Yeah, so that was especially with you having been there the longest of of all of those people. I'm sure that was a big um, adjustment for you. It really was, and it, I think I had a very difficult time going back to work. I felt very sad about it. Um, I had a very hard time leaving my daughter, and um, I think that that made it more challenging for me. Yeah, I and what was your childcare situation going back to work? Um, I so I switched my work schedule and I still maintain that schedule. I work uh, Tuesday through Saturday and I work ten thirty, ten or ten thirty to six or six thirty. Um, and on Saturdays I work from nine to five. And so two days a week, my mom would drive down. She they live about an hour and a half away, so she would drive down and stay the night um so she would have um my old molly um my older daughter um for two days and the other two days were my mother uh, my mother-in-law would watch her and she lives around the corner from us so So for a while we had just family uh watch her um and then at a certain point um my mom kind of put an end, you know, she said, I, you know, I'm going to watch her for this much longer. And then we started looking for um, a daycare for her to be at. So we ended up um, having her a little two days at daycare and, and two days still with my mother-in-law. And then the things have kind of evolved from there. And that's kind of a nice balance because then she gets that social interaction with other kids, but yet doesn't um, have to do that on a full-time basis and still has that time with your family as well. Yeah, definitely. It's really worked for us. We've been very fortunate to have that support. Yeah. Did she make the transition pretty well to, to go into daycare a couple days a week? No. It was actually, <laughs> she's a really um, emotional kid, and um, it was it was challenging for her. I think even when she was very, very new baby, she was always very attached to me, she never really went to other people very easily. And we initially started her one day a week in an in-home daycare that we knew somebody else who's, whose child went there and he was very successful there. And that really wasn't a good uh, situation for Molly. She needed more structure. She needed more um, attention um, than 
the person who could run the, who's running the daycare in our home could give her. Just personality-wise, it wasn't a good fit for us. Um, that was this, about a month, and it felt like a very stressful month. Um, and then we found um, a more traditional daycare that transitions kind of into a preschool um, as they get a little older. And that the, the teachers there and the structure that they provided and the level of staffing really met Molly's needs a lot better. And even though it was a harder transition for her, it didn't make me feel like I wanted to throw up while I was at work every day that I left her there. I felt like she, I felt very comfortable with her being there and she's still there. Uh, she's in their preschool program. So it's been, that was a really good move for us. And now she's there three days a week. Oh, that's great. Yeah. We had a similar experience with, um, Parker, my son, he started daycare at 18 months old. He's been there for about five and a half months now. And, um, at first it was, it was a hard transition for him because he had been home with family like Molly had. And, um, so it was definitely a big adjustment for him, but I think it was even harder on me. And I can so empathize with that sick feeling that you said you had going to work and knowing that, you know, your child was not particularly thrilled about the situation. And luckily things have, you know, gotten to the point where now he loves it and he looks forward to going on those three days per week. But it's definitely, I think, just as hard on, on moms as it is on the kids sometimes, sometimes even harder. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, we we transitioned her 18 months as well. I think it's just a hard age. It is to, uh, to make a change. I think so too. I think so too because they're old, just old enough that they really are starting to understand what's going on, and but they're mm-hmm. still young enough that they, you know, they want their mom, they want their family, and the people that are comfortable to them. So, but definitely, definitely. I'm glad it's worked out for for both of them. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So. What other kind of changes did you have to make aside from your scheduling changes and then just adjusting to the to the personnel changes at work? Did you feel like you had to make in order to balance being a new mom and working at the same time? Um, so in, in addition to my schedule changes, my husband changed his schedule as well. So he would go into work and he still does. He goes into work early and I go into work later. So we tried to, we both work far from home and we tried to minimize the amount of time that um, there are, that Molly would be in childcare. Um, and so that has been, so we don't eat dinner together. So I guess that's, that's a big difference. So um, uh, my husband gets home first and he feeds um, um, Molly dinner and then I come home later and have dinner typically by myself while they are doing baths or playing or something like that. Um, and then I do bedtime. So, and I, and I have the morning routine. So that was a big difference. Us just having different schedules. We used to commute together as well. So that was a big change. Um, the other thing that's changed for me, I mean, in addition to all the regular lifestyle changes that I think everybody goes through, um, I mentioned before that I um, was very involved or am very involved in on the regional board. Um, I've also um, did a lot of presenting, not just in, in, in music therapy conferences, but kind of just you know, various opportunities that would present themselves. And I would be away a lot doing those things. And I've now limited myself to just attending the regional and national music therapy conference and no other 
conferences, no other opportunities. And that was a hard thing for me to do. Um, I like, I like doing that. Um, I like staying kind of up you know, to snuff with all that stuff. And I say no, I say no to my, you know, coworkers who ask me to present with them and our other um, invitations that I get. And it's, that is still very challenging for me to, to be okay with that. But I am, I, I need to do that. I needed to do that to, to, you know, not be away all the time. And it's hard on, you know, on my husband, it's hard when I go away um, to, you know, rebalance everything with just one person. So um, that was a huge change for me. And did you make that change after Molly was born? Or was that was that more um, after your second daughter was born? No, that was after Molly was born. Okay. Um, so the times I go away, like I said, the, the two conferences, and then also there was, there's an executive board meeting that we hold in the fall, which is an overnight as well. So those are the three away things that I do. And do you feel like at a certain point, once your girls are a little bit older, that you'll return to, to all of those commitments? I think so. I think it'll, I'll kind of see what feels right. Um, you know, I think there's definitely um, a guilt factor that goes into it sure, as well, you know, yeah. just being away so much. Um, and, and like I said, I work far from home, so I don't see them a lot during the week. Um, you know, we do the morning routine and then at night I see them for maybe an hour. Um, and so it's a lot of time away on a typical day. Um, so I try to, you know, be more present as much as possible. I'm curious to hear more about, you said that you work on Saturdays from nine to five. Mm -hmm. What, what is that like? Um, how does that, uh, play into your weekends with your family and, mm -hmm. and do you have, have you made any adjustments to kind of counteract that? Yeah. So I love it and hate it at the same time. I love it because when I get there, I can do, it's all music therapy that I'm doing. I'm, I have no meetings. I have no other responsibilities. I can just kind of go through and see everybody um, for sessions. And that part I love. I hate leaving the house in the morning, sure. <laughs> especially, if it's a, especially if it's a sunny day or there's something exciting going on. So Saturday is what we call Daddy Day. Um, Molly likes to refer to it as daddy day. Um, Sunday is family day. That's become very important. And Monday is girls day. Um, that's again what Molly, Molly calls it. <laughs> so we try to do something really exciting on girls day. Um, today we went to the beach, um, and we try to do lots of, fun, you know, we have a routine of fun things that we do. Um, but as you mentioned, it's Saturday and most people are off on Saturdays. So there's usually, um, a lot of, you know, a wide variety of things that, that might be happening, a party, a, you know, or a, um, you know, like a birthday party or a barbecue or something like that. So typically I'm able to, to get there at some point. I just usually end up going, you know, I, I meet them there. Um, sometimes I'll, um, I'll be a little bit flexible with my schedule. So I'll get in a little bit earlier. Maybe I'll get in by eight and maybe by four, or I'll work a little longer during the week. And, you know, if there's something I really need to be at, um, leave at around 334. Um, so typically I can get someplace by five. Um, the only, you know, only if there's something just midday, I won't be able to get to it. But if um, there's something really 
that I want to be at, you know, I, I'll take off. Um, if I try not to take off, but if I can, you know, if I have to, then I will. Um, so, but it's, it's, it's worked for us because it's only means four days of, of childcare coverage instead of five. Um, and then, you know, sometimes I do have to go in on a Monday for something and then, um, I'll be off on the Saturday instead. Okay. Yeah. I can imagine that there are definite pros and cons to that schedule. But I think yeah, I, I think it's really nice the way that you've sort of um, designated those weekend days and then your girls' day with, on Mondays. I think that's really nice, and and that I'm sure gives your daughters something to look forward to after that weekend with you. Yeah, I, I hope so. And I try to tell myself that they don't know it to be any different. Yeah, so, that's true. Um, it's always been this way, and um, you know. So, Sunday is always family day. I don't know if she realized, I don't know if Molly realizes that families have two family days sometimes. <laughs> um, but she's very big on, on Sunday being family day. And if somebody goes and does something by themselves, she'll say something like, I thought today was family day or what happened to family day? And she really lays the guilt on me. Oh, I bet she does. <laughs> Do you foresee your schedule changing back to a traditional Monday through Friday once both of your girls are in school? Yes, probably. And maybe before that, in this, in this management position, there's, there may be more and more things that happen on Mondays that I might have to go in for. And if it seems to be more Mondays than not, then I might go ahead and make that change. Mm -hmm. um, so far, I've been able to balance. It's only happened a few times, but I have, I kind of have a feeling that it might happen more and more. So that might be what changes it. Okay, interesting. Well, let's back up a little bit more now and talk about having your second child. So how how long after your first daughter was born um, did your second child come along? Um, about, it, they are two years and 10 months apart, so almost okay. three years apart. Um, so Brynn will be one uh, at the end of this month, actually. Oh, exciting. So. Yeah, we're planning your first birthday. That's always exciting. Oh, fun. Molly calls Molly calls her her our last baby, so I guess oh. she's decided. <laughs> well, then that makes the decision easy for you, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was um, it's when I don't know how it seems like no time would ever be a good time. So I think we just were we just you know threw our hands in the air and said, "Well, now it seems like as good a time as any." <laughs> So I wasn't, I don't think I was as concerned about timing with, with Bryn that it felt like there was so much pressure to make sure that Molly came in a time that was kind of convenient for us. But, um, so, um, it, we didn't really, I didn't really feel that way with Bryn and she, um, you know, like I said, she was born in May and she was actually, um, 16 days late. So I seem to have girls oh who don't goodness. want to show up. <laughs> um, but so right before I went on, on leave, uh, for Bryn, I was given that promotion. So it was kind of odd um, that I was in this job for just about a week. And then I went on leave um, and my old position was vacant. And so we kind of had to engage in this hiring process while I was on leave, which again was a really, really unique um, thing to be a part of. And I'm not sure if I enjoyed doing that. So it was, mm. it felt very odd to come back to somebody that I, sort of hired but right. didn't really know um so there was that 
Um, I also came back to an, a new intern that I hadn't uh, myself picked. So that was, it was, again, it was like a very strange, it seems like all these transitions always happen when I go out on these. So I'm not going to do that anymore. Yeah, no kidding. Did you find yourself having to do work-related things during your maternity leave that you otherwise wouldn't have had to do had this position not come into fruition? Yes, I did. And um, I tried not to, um, very much tried not to. Um, but when it came to this staff vacancy, it, it really couldn't just sit around for the four months being vacant, especially since I was out already. So it brought the team down a you know, two people. So um, it was something that kind of had to be taken care of. They promoted me to the director position when the old director was still there. So there could be this kind of overlap um, until she left, but she still left uh, in July and I didn't come back to work until September. So there was still a little bit of a, a lag time, but we were on the phone a lot of times doing, um, and she, you know, she was reading me resumes and we were kind of going back and forth. What do you think about this? What do you think about this? And, um, then I was doing some phone interviews um, after she had kind of narrowed down the pool. And it, yeah, that wasn't my favorite thing to do. I definitely wish that I didn't have to do it that way. Um, but, you know, it, what, it was what it was at the time. It seems like that was something I had to do. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you just don't have the um, capability of, of saying no to those work-related things and just have to do what you can to balance everything at home. Yeah, and I, I was hoping it wasn't like an like a bad omen, you know, an indicator of that I'm not going to be able to balance the you know having the two kids and this position because the person who had it before me did not have kids, and um, you know watching her play this role, I was concerned that I wouldn't be able to um, have that good balance um, going into it. So it's, I think, you know, maybe, you know, we talk, I actually, you know, she's a friend of mine. So we've talked about it a lot. You know, I talked about a lot, my fears about it before um, taking it on. And um, she said, well, you're going to do it the way that you're going to do it. It doesn't have to be the same way that I do it. Um, And that was helpful for me to think about, you know, maybe there's a way to model um, boundaries for other people who don't really, who who struggle with that. Um, So, and I, I think in, also in my job, there's there's this kind of culture of like in many places of going above and beyond of being like the, the you know the gold standard and going above and beyond sometimes is people staying really long hours or you know past the time that they're supposed to do or doing like all these other special things and I felt like there's there's got to be ways to go above and beyond within the confines of what I can offer um, and so I've tried to start to recognize my own staff for doing those kind of things not you know staying two hours past when you're supposed to go home but something that you did during the course of your regular day in your regular job that was special so we're trying (laughs) trying to to model it but you know it's hard when you're in a kind of a space where people are hoping that you'll do you know more extravagant things or expecting you to I guess oh yeah absolutely and I think that goes for women in in any career field where, you know, we have kids at home and we really do have to strike that balance and draw that line with where we can put in our time at work and know when to put that work down and go home. So for sure, I think think we're all with you right there. Um, So we've talked a lot about the challenges that have come with, with with your position and with balancing everything. 
Um, what about some of the more fulfilling aspects of being a working mom? There, I mean, I think that it, I'm, I'm hoping that it, I'm setting a good example for my girls um, that there's a way to do, to, you know, both these things um, successful, somewhat successfully. I don't know. Some days it feels more successful than others. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's, Obviously, when you're away from somebody, it makes you miss or appreciate them that much more. So stepping away and, and going, um, you know, leaving them and then coming home to them is, I think, I'm you know, ready for to, to see them and I'm ready to enjoy being with them. And knowing that I have limited time each day, it's, it's kind of um, makes me, you know, look forward to just kind of enjoying all that time that I that I do have. So I think, you know, that's the perspective that being a working mom offers for me. Um, sometimes, it's, you know, on a difficult morning, it's, it's like I can't wait to step out the door <laughs> sometimes. But yeah. um, most days, you know, most days, it's, it's, I, I feel like we reasonably have a balance going. Yeah. And that's, and that's promising to hear, especially juggling two girls and um, – making sure that everything gets done that needs to be done before you leave the house, I'm sure can be pretty stressful in the morning. I know just with one, it's stressful enough. So it's, it's nice to hear that you've, you've made it work for your family. I mean, I don't want to say that we have like (laughs) some sort of magic thing happening. I think, you know, I have clothes on, they have clothes on. It's always important. (laughs) My hair is decent. (laughs) We have, we're wearing matching shoes and socks most days, you know, Uh I think Uh our standards have changed as to what's being successful. Yeah. Um, Well, and I think some days that's the best you can do and that's okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that there's there's definitely been this shift of, of what is what marks success and what what mean what is the best we can do. And I was joking about it with my husband because we were saying that, you know, I um what did we used to do with all of our time? I don't even know. Oh, because yes. oh my gosh. I feel like <laughs> we must have just wasted so much time. I don't I can't even remember what we used to do. I feel now, the same way. I used to think I was yeah. so busy all the time. And I'm like, I had exactly. no idea. Nope. <laughs> no clue. Oh, too funny. So <laughs> so what about um, self-care? And when it comes to taking care of yourself outside of your roles as a mom and as a music therapy or as a music therapist and clinical director, what do you do for yourself? So I'm not, as a lot of us, I'm not that great at it. Um, I think when I hit on something where I feel really good, I, I, I say to myself, oh, okay, I think this is probably what self-care would look like if I, and I, and I need to, to do that more. For example, um, my husband and I don't go out that much by ourselves, and we recently just did, and it was this revelation of like, oh my gosh, this is this is who we were together and how, how we can be together just just us and it felt really great and um we kind of this talk like yes we need to pre-plan and do this you know on a more regular basis and I think that would be um something for for me that would be an ideal self-care thing that I'm striving for um this is kind of odd but I have a long commute each way it's about an hour oh sometimes a little more with traffic 
And I've gotten really into um, various podcasts. I've got and and uh, I just I'm a junkie. I'm just constantly. Oh, I am right there with you. And that really helps me. That time helps me to decompress. And um, I didn't mention before, but I a lot of my work is pediatric palliative care, um, and it's something that I'm very passionate about and 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 skilled at. But it's also something that needs I need decompression time between. Um, leaving um, various emotional situations and and coming home to be really present for my family at home, um, and um, so so this kind of this long transition, um, while I hate being in the car that long, does offer me that transition time and the time to just immerse myself in other people's stories or, or worlds or information or um, just funny things, and and that is a really big piece for me in terms of self care. Yeah, and I feel like it's something that you can do to engage your mind while still, you know, taking care of things like driving or laundry. I know that I um, listen to podcasts when I'm getting ready in the morning, and that's something that I never enjoy doing, so it kind of like makes it an enjoyable experience. Um, Do you have any favorite podcasts that you want to mention? Oh, I'm a – yes. I like um, most of the things I listen to on, on NPR. I like This American Life a lot. Um, I listen every week. Um, I like The Moth, which is a storytelling podcast. And then I also started listening to The Longest Shortest Time, which is a parent yes, podcast. Yes, I love that one. <laughs> they also have um, a Facebook group for moms and a Facebook group for dads. And the moms group I'm a part of, and it's the best. I hate I hate mom Facebook groups. I really do. I haven't found one that's not judgy. And this is about this group is huge. There's thousands, several thousand women that are a part of this group, and it's so rare that somebody um, says something very judgy or snarky. It's so rare that it stands out so much in the group, and people in the group are taken aback by it. It's the most supportive, funniest real most real group I've ever been a part of oh, and I can't look for that about it. oh, it's called awesome. the longest longest shortest time mamas is the group awesome. I would just Thank enjoy you. it so much okay cool cool well I'll put a link in the show notes to that because I feel the same way I feel like every mom group that I'm a part of on Facebook you know it's great for a while and then somebody will say something and that will just set off this crazy judgy mm-hmm. thread and then it's mm-hmm. like okay I need to leave now Yes, exactly. Exactly. Cool. Well, do you have any advice for fellow music therapists who are thinking about starting a family or have already started down this road? Um, Sometimes I wonder if I'm once be giving advice. Uh, (laughs) um, I think you know some of the the things that have been important that have been helpful for me um, have been finding various um, ways that my job could be flexible. I mentioned that my schedule is flexible and I know that I work in a facility that's open 24 hours a day. So we do have that flexibility, but some of it was just asking, asking what might be possible or looking at other moms, mostly moms that work there um, to see what they've done to be successful um, at work. And um, that I think it's just sometimes asking. You don't really know what's what's possible until you ask. And, you know, they might say no, but they might say yes as well. 
um, if it's if it's reasonable if it if it matches the company's needs. So I, I would say that that was something that um, was really helpful for me. The other thing is that um, if you know for other you know moms out there, if if you're in um, you know relationship with your partner, I think it's for a while it became really easy to just kind of come home and both of us are doing different things and at night we're just too tired and we're kind of zoned out on you know on the couch or something watching TV next to each other but kind of separate and I think it's it's important to stop and take a minute and remember why you're with this person and that you know the kids have become kind of the focus and the center but that this person was the original reason that all this started and um, to to figure out ways to reconnect with this person and and make that person you know the center as well. I think that was very important for me, uh, important a realization that I had. I think those are both absolutely wonderful pieces of advice, and that second piece that you mentioned really resonates with me. I know that the same kind of was starting to be true with my husband and I, where um, we have very different schedules. Where I'm getting home later and. At the end of the day, it's like all we want to do is crash. And sometimes I'm on my computer doing work stuff or he's, you know, doing something on his computer. And we've recently, you know, come to the realization that, yeah, we're about to have two kids and we need to stay connected and remember why we're in this relationship together. And so we've really been making that conscious effort. And I think it's um, great that you're reminding us of that and how important that is. So great advice. Do you have any music therapy related projects or news that you'd like to share? Sure. So I co-write on a blog or quad write. There's four of us. I don't know how to say that. Um, so I'm one of four authors of a blog called music therapy and end of life care.com. And I've written a couple of, a couple of my posts have been specifically about um, how being a mom intersects with my work in pediatric end-of-life care specifically um, and it might be interesting for, for people to check that out if they're interested or if they have similar experiences but um, writing on the blog has been really fantastic for me and I and I like I love sharing it with people. Awesome yeah we'll put a, a link to the show notes um, for that very cool. Thank you. Yeah well Kristen thank you so much for being on the podcast I really appreciate your candor and your all the advice that you've shared um, throughout these last 45 minutes or so. Sure, it's been a pleasure and so much fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to send Kristen a message, you can contact her via email, kristenmarie120 at hotmail.com. Would you like to be a guest on the show? Let me know. Get in touch and find the show notes for this episode at guitarsandgranolabars.com. And if you feel so inclined, please leave a review on iTunes. I'll talk to you again next week.